Um, we all been in the book of Esther, and this actually is the last in this whole series about be who God created you to be. Um, this is the sixth one out of the book of Esther. We're not going to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the end of it. We're not going to teach on Purim. Um, I'm not going to teach on those things because I don't feel the leading of the Lord to go into any of that uh, teaching in the Jewish uh, feast of Purim. But I, I do want to teach one more lesson about your identity in Christ. You know, being who God created you to be. Because really, isn't that the quest of life? What greater quest could there be in life than to figure out in the presence of God in this earth, on this side of the grave, who you were created to be? And being that and nothing else. Unapologetically being who God created you to be. Not allowing the peer pressure of what you've grown up in, the peer pressure of what degree you got or didn't get, the peer pressure of what you feel from your family, but you suddenly emerge and say that God's made me to be this, and I'm going to be the best this that I can be. I think that's the greatest goal and achievement that a person can, can get to in life, and uh, that's why we're talking about it so much in the last few weeks. But Esther has a great um, story. She's the pinnacle of purpose, I've been calling her for the last few weeks. She's the, she's the person in the Bible, and even of any story we've heard, who rose from absolutely nothing to a pinnacle of purpose in the earth. For such a time as this, she was created for the earth. And you know, I just want to say it again, that no matter what you're seeing in the world today, you're not out of time, you're not out of space. You were created for such a time as this. So whatever your identity is, it fits into whatever age you live in. You're not out of time. You're right on time. So you need to begin to accept that. You carry answers for the problems that are going on today. Don't look around. You have the Spirit of God, and He gives you revelation to answers for the problems that are around us today. So many times, like I said last week, the greatest potential ends up in the graveyard because so many people die with that potential in their life and they never come to understand it. But Esther did. She was awesome. And so Esther, as we know the story, I'm not going to retell it all today, but if you haven't heard, the, the, all these sermons are online and, and they build on one another. But Esther's story is a great story. From rags to riches, she became the queen. And, and her, her people, the Jews, came under assault from Haman, which is a personification of the devil. And Esther's story, we have found, is our story. Because Esther actually represents the church, and her people represent God's people, the church, and that's all of us. And Haman represents the devil, and the struggle that we have uh, contending with the devil on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, a lot of people say, well, the devil's defeated and he's under our feet. And that is absolutely true. That's true. But may I remind you that Haman, though he was given great authority by the king... He was still under the authority of the queen, but she had to step into it. As long as she made herself subject to what Haman said, she would die from it. But because she stepped into being queen, she could be in her rightful place. So many Christians, they know the devil's defeated. They know he's under our feet. They know we're the head and not the tail. But because they don't step into who they are in Christ... They live a defeated life and can even cause them to have premature death or even sickness because they walk in less than what God has anointed and predestined them to be. Yeah, predestined. 
before the foundation of the world in Ephesians chapter 1. He knew you before you were born. He's not waiting till you die to figure out what to do with you. He has already figured it out. He provided Jesus to remove every obstacle from your life, including sickness, demonic oppression, sin, whatever sets you back. He's, he's given Jesus and his spirit to be able to set you free so you can step into the abundant life that God created you to live. So many times the restriction is right here. We can't get past the thinking or the rotten thoughts of our mind and we end up living in less than. Uh, we, end up leaving, we, we end up living like Esther could have in the medium place. Like Esther could have stayed in the harem. She didn't want to. She didn't want to live in mediocrity. Even though there was prosperity in mediocrity. She knew that prosperity wasn't the end game. The only reason God gives us prosperity is so we can go on and live in what our destiny is. He doesn't give you prosperity so you can live a selfish, self-focused life. Do you understand? I think it stops there sometimes, and it shouldn't, because we'll never change the world we live in if we stay in the harem, if we stay in the church, if we stay in our families, if we stay where we are in the safe place, we'll never change the world. We must dare to take a chance, like Esther did. She came before the king, and the king extended his scepter, and he let her come in. And then, and then the, we know Queen Esther came in, and she said, the big moment of truth, like last week, she invited him to a banquet. And it was such a letdown. We thought, what's the deal? But we saw Esther operating in absolute faith and confidence in who God was and who she was in him. She was laying on the couch when the devil finally was defeated. Laying on the couch in rest, in perfect peace. Because her mind was on the king. And that's what we found last week. But I didn't read it all. I read... Chapter 5, 1 through 8, and then I skipped to chapter 7, and I read chapter 7, 1 through 10. But I did not read 5, 9 through the end of the chapter, and 6, the, the whole 6th chapter, 1 through 14. I didn't read any of that. You see, found right in the middle of Esther's triumph and Haman's demise, there's a story that's pretty unusual. And this is where we're going to end our study in Esther. I love this story. You know, Haman went to the first banquet, and he didn't know anything was wrong because Esther just drank with the king and had a good time, and she invited him to a second banquet. And so here was Haman. He, it says in, in chapter 5, verse 9, that Haman was a happy man when he left that banquet. But when he saw Mordecai sitting in the palace gate, not standing up or trembling nervously before him, Haman became furious. However, he restrained himself, and he went on home. Then Haman gathered all together his friends and his wife, and he boasted to them about his great wealth, his many children. He bragged about the honors the king had given him and how he had been promoted over all the other nobles and officials. Do you want to know the fruit of the unholy spirit? You just read a bunch of them. Pride, boasting, on and on. We won't go down that road. Haman added, that's not all. Queen Esther's invited me and only me and the king himself to a banquet she prepared for us. And she's invited me to dine with her and the king again tomorrow. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting in the palace gate. So Haman's wife and all his friends suggested, well, just set up a sharpened pole or a gallows in some of your translations, it says. Or if you really want to get symbolic, let's set up a cross and we're going to crucify him on this cross. 
for all the world to see. Our victory. So they set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall. There again, the exaggeration of a seven and a half story pole when you could, you could do it seven and a half feet and kill him just as dead. The point being, I want everyone to see my victory because I am so great. That's what Haman was thinking. 75 feet tall and in the morning asked the king to impale Mordecai on it. When this is done, you can go on your merry way to the banquet with the king. This pleased Haman, and he ordered the pole set up. In the middle of the story of, of Esther going to the banquet, reclining before her enemy, God presenting a table before her enemy right there, a, a beautiful uh, victory table. There's this story in the middle. Last week I talked about it's impossible to reach your destiny or your purpose without living in faith, without stepping off into faith. And I'm going to say this week that it's impossible to reach your purpose until you reach the promised land. Let me explain. In the beginning, there's faith. Have you ever been like that? Like the first day of faith is, is a great day. You know, you're like, oh, God's challenging me to have faith. And I'm going to let's just talk about giving money because that was my first challenge of faith. I'm going to tithe. So I write my tithe check and I put it in the deal and I'm like, yes. And I'm like victorious and I'm expecting abundant life that afternoon. <laughs> you know, in the beginning of faith, it's victory and it's awesome. It feels wonderful. It's exhilarating. And then day two, day three, day four, day week three, four, five. We know down the road, we know we have faith. When the, when the faith begins, we step into faith because we have an end in mind. And the end in mind is promised land, abundant life. That's what we have in our mind. We would not step into faith unless we thought there was some reward. I mean, you might think you're that noble, but really you're not. No one steps into faith until they believe in the ultimate reward. You trusted Jesus to get to heaven. You trusted Jesus to get free from your sin. You tr There's a reward. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't diminish faith. I just want to explain to you how it works. The first day of faith is easy. The end day in promised land is amazing. But it's in the middle that it gets really tough. So right in the middle of this victorious story, the Spirit of God writes this beautiful in-the-middle challenge, which is a universal truth for all God's people everywhere about living in faith. Don't be foolish and think because you had a day of victory and you stepped into faith that tomorrow you're going to be in that victory automatically. The hard part of faith is the middle. So I call this, this message in the middle of faith. A lot of you are in the middle of faith. The children of Israel left Egypt. You know, they had that day, great day of victory. Red Sea parted. They walked through and all the Egyptians died. And then they turned around and they were in the middle of a wilderness. And they weren't in the promised land. I guess they thought there would be an escalator that would take them to the promised land. Because they had stepped into faith. But there wasn't. The first place they stopped, the water was poisoned. God, what are you doing? We should have stayed in Egypt. Many of you think that way. You leave that old life and you want to get free and you step out and you expect it to be abundant life tomorrow and it's not. And you go, well, I'm just going to go back where I know I can at least survive. 
Your destiny is not found in, in, the, in, in, in Egypt. It's not found in bondage. It's not even found in the wilderness. So many churches build theologies around survival in the wilderness. Blessing in the wilderness. How to live in the wilderness. How to be happy in the wilderness. That's not your destiny. The promised land's your destiny. So you've got to get through the middle part of your faith and get into the end where there's abundant life. Because it's in abundant life, in the promised land, that you find destiny. Amen. Don't stop. Don't live in mediocrity. If the Lord doesn't want you to, why would you do it? So there's this great story. And we know the end of the story. But Mordecai didn't. <laughs> Mordecai was like, everybody in the palace knows that pole's been set up to kill me on. It was pretty common knowledge. We saw that last week. You know, the, whenever they covered Haman's face, one of the eunuchs said to the king, hey, Haman set up this big 75-foot pole out here, and he was going to kill Mordecai on it. Everybody already knew this. You know why? Because the devil is a braggart and boastful. His plans are hardly ever secret because he can't stand it. He's so smart, he outwits himself. And so the plan was already there. Mordecai goes, okay, here's what Mordecai knew. Mordecai knew this. He knew when Esther went to talk to the king because she said, I'm going to fast for three days, have everybody do it, and then I'm going to go before the king. He knew the day. So I'm sure that when Esther agreed to do it, they all had a party that night. They were all like, he beating their tambourines and singing, Esther's going before the king. We're going to be set free. Haman's going to be made a fool of. We're going to be set free. And so the next thing, he knows when it happens. And then the next day, he sees this pole erected. And the talk is around the palace. He's going to hang you on that pole, Mordecai. Mordecai's going, well, this isn't exactly how I thought this would work. I mean, I stepped into faith with God thinking we'd be delivered. And now that pole up there has got my name on it. He knew Esther went before the king. He did not know the outcome. So he had a choice. He had a choice to fear or walk in faith. Fear or walk in faith. Let me give you a definition. Faith is believing and acting on God's word. Now, people say, well, I have faith in humanity. No, you can't have faith in anything that God's word's not involved in. You can have hope, you can have belief, but you can't have faith. Faith is a God thing. It's given by God. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can't have faith outside of the word of God. When you get a word from God, your challenge is, do you believe it or not? That's faith. Now, you can believe, you know, that he's a good person. Or you can have hope that humanity is going to straighten itself out and everybody's going to go, you know, start uh, sharing their goods and become all one great society. I don't know what your faith is in. I mean, your hope is in, but it's not faith. Faith is believing and acting on God's word. So Mordecai had a choice. Let's read the definition of fear. And these are my definitions. Fear is believing and acting on negative things that we see and hear. It's believing negative things. You see a negative thing. 
You believe, you hear a negative thing. Now, what are you going to believe? What are you going to act on? Because that's where Mordecai was. He had a choice. He had a choice. He had to believe even though he couldn't see the end. He had to believe even though everything he saw about that pole and heard around the palace was, you're going to be dead tomorrow. And he said, well, no, I'm going to be delivered tomorrow. There's a story, no, no. This is a, a great story, I think, that just absolutely puts this in, in, in a, a term we understand. There was a lady named Florence Chadwick. And in 1952, um, she was a swimmer, a competition swimmer. And she decided she was going to swim uh, off Catalina Island all the way to California. It's a 26-mile swim. And she'd already been the first woman that had swung the, swam the, uh, the uh, English Channel two times. She was a great swimmer. She had the, the skill. She had everything. God had given her the ability and the, the strength to do this. And she'd already done it. But she hadn't done this Catalina to mainland California. And the day that she died, decided to do it, it was really foggy and chilly. And, and she couldn't hardly see anything, uh, even the boats that were kind of going alongside of her. There were boats that went alongside of her in case something went wrong. And they said even that there were sharks in those waters and they were trying to look out for sharks and stuff. But she was swimming, and she swam for 15 hours, it said. 15 hours. I can't even imagine. In the ocean. And so she got, she, got, she got way out into the swim, and she began to beg them to take her out of the water. But her mother was in the boat, and her mother said, No, 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 Lawrence, you're so close. Stay in the water. You're, you're so close. And, and she just kept going and going. And finally, it said that she was physically and emotionally exhausted. And she stopped swimming. They pulled her out of the water. But when she got in the boat, she discovered that she was half a mile from the shore. And here's what she said at the news conference the next day. All I could see was the fog. I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. You know? I think we're like that. I think Mordecai was probably like that. I think we're like that. You know, God gives you a word. You can make it. You know, I think about a mom. You can make it. You're close. You can make it. You're going to make it. But because of what we see or don't see, we quit. We quit. We stop listening to the word of God and we start listening to what we see or don't see. And we quit. I've had it. This isn't working out like I thought. Everything's kind of going the opposite direction. God's given up on me. He's either preoccupied or he doesn't care. And so I really don't want to do this anymore. So you quit. And guess what? You end up in the wilderness. You die in the wilderness. That's what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 10. It says many, they all died in the wilderness except just a few of them. Why? Because they saw the giants and they believed the giants more than the word of God that it was their land. And we're in the same boat. All I can see is that pole. You know, we look around the world and you just hear negative thing after negative thing. I mean, we had a lot, I don't know if you're like me, but, you know, we've been trapped inside for several days here since Thanksgiving. And, you know, you end up reading a little more news than you normally do or seeing, you know, reading the reports. It's just like negative report after negative report after negative report. 
And, and, and you know, it does seem like God's a little preoccupied or indifferent. It does seem, I mean, let's just be honest. There, there isn't a lot of good moving forward right now. Even in the church. Seems to be a lot of doom and gloom. A lot of, a lot of a woe is me. A lot of, you know, we're going down with the ship, but we're going to go down. You know, it just doesn't seem victorious. But my word, this word, says that we win. <laughs> that Jesus died for the sins of the world. His answer for all of this is Jesus. And that his love will conquer all. It's the greatest thing in the world. Now, we can live by what we see, or we can live by what we know. God's word says. God is doing something. It's our job to believe it. God is doing something. You see, what Mordecai didn't see was what happened in chapter 6. In the night after all this was happening, the king had trouble sleeping, and he ordered an attendant to bring a book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. That would put you to sleep. It would me. <laughs> Bring me, a, bring me a book and read about the days of my life. <laughs> In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed a plot that two eunuchs that guarded the king's door were planning to kill him. What recognition or reward have we ever given Mordecai for this, the king said. His attendants replied, nothing's been done. And, and the king said, well, who's in the outer court? And it happened... <laughs> that Haman had just arrived in the outer court in the palace to ask the king to kill Mordecai on the pole that he had prepared for him. So he's walking in all happy. This is going to be my day. I'm going to finally kill that guy. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman's in the outer court. Well, bring him in, the king said. So Haman came in, the king, what should I do, Haman, to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, well... Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? <laughs> you, you know, there's another fruit of the satanic spirit. <laughs> it's all about me. Vanity. Um, and he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes and, and, and he, that, that he's worn. And as well, he should bring out a horse that the king himself has ridden and one with the royal emblem on his head, and let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one of the king's most noble officials, and let him see that that man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in these king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go, this is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. <laughs> the king's like, excellent. <laughs> Quick, take the robes, my horse. Do just as you said for Mordecai, the Jew that sits in the gate. Leave nothing out that you suggested. And Haman was like, uh, okay. So he took the robes and put them on Mordecai, placed them on the kings. Okay, that's, that's, I want to just, I just want to, I love this. I, I wish they filled this in right here. Can you imagine what Haman felt whenever Mordecai, I mean, when, what Mordecai felt when Haman came knocking on his door? You know, who is it? Uh, it's Haman. Well, here we go. I, you know. Lord, if you don't do something, I'm dying. This guy's coming to get me. He's probably got three guards with him. He's going to put handcuffs on me. He's going to take me out there and stick me on that pole, and I'm going to be dead. And here's Haman at the door going, I can't believe I'm having to do this. Can, can I just say something to you? If you ever see a comic or a drawing of the God and the devil and they're battling, 
Just throw it in the trash. God does not battle the devil. The devil is defeated. God, now if we get a hold of it, God uses the devil to bring glory to himself. That's just the truth. Haman didn't have any choice, just like the devil doesn't have any choice. Anyway, he went to get him, and we know the story. In fact, we have it on video. Let's see it. Trey, let's see that. Trey, cut it there. Okay, here we go. Just a second. I'll have to see this little part. (laughs) 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 I love it. Okay, I couldn't resist. So Haman was humiliated, dejected completely, which he would be. And he goes home and tells his wife and all his friends what had happened and his advisors. And then you wonder where this advice was before he did all this. Since Mordecai, this is his wife speaking, since Mordecai, this man has humiliated you, is of Jewish birth, you will never succeed in your plans against him. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. And while they were speaking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet that Esther prepared. This is such a great story. Let me just say what that's saying. Because you're God's child, no weapon formed against you will prosper. You're, you're more than a conqueror. It says in Colossians chapter 2, 14 through 16, that because of what Jesus has done, and he got on that pole, and he died in our place, and instead of it being the death, this is what's ironic about the whole thing. The poll's set up, it's intended for God's children, 
and Jesus gets on it, and he takes its place. And what's interesting is it's the same pole that kills the enemy. Do you see the cross of Christ killed the power of the devil? Killed it. He's done. He's humiliated. Look at Colossians chapter. Look at this. Having wiped away the handwritten requirements that are against us, that, that thing that Haman had written, you know, he uses the law to condemn us. He uses the, the law of the word of God to condemn us before God to say, this guy's rotten, he's a sinner, he's lousy, he's no good, he's a failure, and he continually brings those charges as condemnation, and he says he's wiped out the handwritten requirements that were against us. Every document that the devil brings forth and has signed with our death warrant on it, he has canceled that, which is contrary to us. He's taken it out of the way and nailed it to the pole too. He nailed with Haman, he nailed that law up there on that pole with him. Go to the next verse. Having disarmed principalities and powers, made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. When he was marching Mordecai through the streets, it was a prophetic picture of what Jesus is going to do to the devil. You are being put on a horse and making a public spectacle of the devil. He's having to parade your glory in front of all mankind, in front of a great cloud of witnesses. The devil has been ordered by God to parade you through and declare this is what our God does to someone he honors. Your greatest defeat can become your greatest victory. You know, when things look bleak, don't count out the God factor. <laughs> you may not see him working. You may just see bad things. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know. But I can tell you this. God has what's going on in your life right in his hand. He's got every circumstance right in your hand, his hand. And he is not asleep at the wheel. He knows you and loves you. He is already working on your behalf. He's given you his son. What wouldn't he give you? That's the word of God. And you can go, well, but you just don't know. Well, you can believe the lie or you can believe the word of God. That's what we have. You'll never find your identity in a lie. You will find it in the word of God. Fact is, the devil does want to destroy you. He makes very, the life very difficult for some of us. He does. It's a fact. Just like Haman's deal was a fact. But here's another fact. The enemy dies on the very instrument of death that he designed to kill you with. It's a theme of scripture. When Gideon had to send all his troops away, it was because God wanted his glory to be shown with a hundred men with pots and torches. And what happened? They went down and broke those pots and all those people started killing themselves. It's a theme of scripture that whatever the enemy has to destroy God's people turns on themselves and kills them. Just like a vaccine that set unknown in men's hands for thousands of years. Plague after plague after plague after plague and men and women dying from disease. And one day the revelation came that the very, the very germ that is intended to kill us can actually be put into us and heal us. And God says it's a natural phenomenon that's a spiritual truth. 
that your darkness can be made into God's glory by submitting to God's plan and believing that you're more than a conqueror in Christ. Now, you can live under your defeated attitude. You can live as a defeated foe all your life and die in the wilderness. But when you rise up and realize that God can take your darkness and turn it into the greatest light, he not only wants to save you, he wants to put you on a horse and put you on display. Just like he did with Joseph. Sent to Egypt. And what did he say to his brothers? You intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. (laughs) Some of you, yeah, the devil intended to kill you, but God intended it for good. Because here's here's the end of the story right here. Because you, 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 you are brought into a place that you're brought into so you can save many lives. Do you know that you are the fisher of men and that some of these fish can only be caught by you? Do you know you're like Esther? That you've been born for such a time as this? That you've been saved for such a time as this? Do you not know that you're in a place with your friends and your family that you were set up just for such a time as this so you could be the Esther for that family, for that group of friends? Unless you're content just to live in the harem and, you know, settle for mediocrity. I mean, you're comfortable. You know, they were really happy in the wilderness. They had provision. They ate every day. There's provision in the wilderness. There's even miracles in the wilderness. There's just no abundant life. Why would you stop in the wilderness? Well, the same reason the children of Israel did. They were scared to go in the promised land. They were just scared. You need to stop being scared. Start living in faith. Some of you have trusted God with your marriage, trusted God with your family. You have. You stepped into that day of faith in the early days, and you thought, this feels so good. I'm stepping into faith. I'm believing for my marriage. It's going to be better than it's ever been. I've, Wendy and I have been there. We've been there when we thought our marriage was toast. The devil thought, I have destroyed these people, and I've made a fool of them. And then we stepped into faith. I remember Wendy said, I just need hope. And we got hope, you know, we locked arm in arm, and we stepped forward. And I remember telling her all the time, you know, I, this is all so difficult. I said, but I see light, and I'm just going to keep walking towards the light. It's a little bitty light, but I keep walking towards the light because I knew that if I walked towards the light, I would get through that tunnel of despair. What I didn't know was I didn't have the understanding at that time that my early steps of faith were easy because it felt good when we first started walking it out. But, you know, it took a long time in the middle. We were in the wilderness a long time, and we kept walking. And then one day, we did. We came out on the other side, and it actually is better than it ever was on this side. And so now, what does he do? He uses us to display his greatness. His, this is what he does. He puts our marriage on a horse, 
And he parades us by the devil who wanted to kill us. And he declares in front of us, he declares, this is what the Lord does to those that trust him, that he's pleased with. You see, it's impossible to please God without faith. So he says, this is what the king does for those he's pleased with. It, it, God's pleased with you when you're walking in faith. Not when you know certain scriptures. Not that that's bad. But you can't find it there. You have to step into faith. And continue to walk in faith in those middle wilderness years that are difficult. And I said years. Yeah, sometimes it's years. That's what I said last week. Some of you are not finding your financial destiny because you step out and you go, we're going to trust God with our money in 2015. And then about three months later, you're like, I don't think this trusting God thing's working. All I see is a big pole set up to kill me. What about you? That's all I see too. Well, let's go back and live in the wilderness. At least there's manna every day. Yeah, you can live in the wilderness. I mean, you can, you can die in the wilderness. God's not going to, you know, slap you around, I don't think. But the truth is, why would you do that? See, for your finances, your family, your marriage. You know, many of you need to step out in faith to break addiction. And it's easy the first day or two, you know, yeah, quit drinking. Day two, y'all quit drinking, feels so good. Day three, you're like, oh, this is great. And the day sports, like, oh, uh, yeah, it's kind of getting harder. <laughs> you're in the middle. That's why there's groups like AA and there's groups like NA. That's why there's groups. You know why? Because there's strength in numbers so you can arm, arm with somebody. That's why we have life recovery class here at the church. We need each other in those in-between times of faith. Swallow your pride and get in with somebody and hook arms and let them help you through those middle times. Let them drag you into the abundant life that they have found. Because he wants to put you on display and many of you, I know your stories, and you are absolute trophies of God's grace. Many of you, I know that God puts you on a horse and he parades you in front of all of hell and says, look at this guy you thought you killed 20 years ago. Look at him now. He's trusting me and loving me and worshiping me. He's even telling people about me. He's doing all these things. And that's where we find our identity. And it brings glory to God, and it brings glory to us because we get to share in His glory. It says when His glory is revealed, that we're right there with it. Yeah, that's glory. That's awesome. So, the question comes, are you ready to stop living in the wilderness? And are you ready to step into faith? Are you ready to just... Believe and continue through those difficult middle grounds and get to victory and get to promised land. Uh, a bunch of you are in the middle. And you can be in the middle in finances and be at the end of the road on your marriage. You know, it doesn't mean if you get there in one, you get there in all. It's things, this is a battle of faith for each area of your life. Some of you are believing for prodigal children right now. You know, the truth is, you got to believe in the wilderness just like you believed at the beginning. And you know that at the end of the road, God says he loves them more than you do and he will not let them go. That's just the truth. And I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. I am. Regardless of what I see or don't see. The devil wants to come say, well, you're a lousy parent. You know, you're this, you're that. 
you, you caused all this. Don't, don't buy that junk. Yeah, you're in the middle time. It's hard. But that doesn't mean you can buy the lie of the enemy. So if you're ministering today, come on up.